Welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. It has been a minute since we have released a podcast episode, but no fear. We got one coming your way. And on the show today, I have my favorite people, Ryan DeVrent, Stephen Wood, Brenna McDonald. They're on the episode today, and we are talking about jumping January. What is jumping January, you ask? Well, you got to listen to the episode to find out. But don't worry, it's coming your way right now. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks again for listening. Go Cats. All right, getting into this conversation, kind of twofold, explaining and reemphasizing to us the purpose on why we did Jumping January, talk through some of the things that we did, uh, and hopefully you guys have had a chance to look at the results, and we can talk through that as well. And then after we kind of uh, put a lid on Jumping January, we can get into the conversation of programming jumping circuits, plyometrics for teams and our thoughts that go into those programmings and those circuits and those movements. So jumping January, it, I really like what we've been doing with our staff development and we always try to be intentional um, with that. And everybody knows about Squattober. And I thought it was really cool when Mike Tucker put together Sprint Timber in 2020. I thought that was a cool concept, kind of playing off the Squattober theme. And then as a staff, we always like to do staff workouts together. We haven't really been able to do that as a whole like we have in the past since the pandemic hit. So us doing something like Jump in January is a way for us to develop as a staff to increase our knowledge on plyometrics and advanced jumping programs allowed us to have some staff camaraderie. It allowed us to, it allowed us the opportunity to engage in conversation about how to program for jumping and also critique each other a little bit in terms of our, our jumping technique and motor patterns. Um, so it, it checked off a lot of boxes for us, but it didn't start in January and it had to have been UB Matt because in November we did Nordbember where we brought the Nord board out tested it because I, I had no experience with that sort of, with those testing data, using that piece of equipment, uh, Wood and D, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you guys had any experience as well using a NOR board. No. And I thought we learned a ton. Uh, I think we can dive into it again in 2021 when November rolls around or maybe even sooner. Uh, but I, hopefully that's something that becomes a staple in our program is as a full-time staff, we can keep growing our knowledge in hamstring health and uh, get more comfortable with using a piece of equipment like the Norboard. Uh, but same thing with Jump in January. It was after BMAC had came up with November, Jump in January kind of popped into my mind, presented it to you guys, and I thought overall it was a good first year doing it. Just like I mentioned with November, hopefully jumping January is something that we can continue on in the future as well. Um, just everybody listening to understand uh, what we did, Wood and I came up with a, a four-week program, so we pretty much did an advanced jumping program for a month. We did an initial test at the beginning of January where we tested our standing vert on a vertex and jump mat. We did our approach vertical on a vertex as well. And then we also tested our broad jump. And we did our, uh, we did, like I said, we did our pre-test early January and we just did our post-test yesterday. And I am crazy sore. We did a lot of sprinting. We did our, some sprint testing as well and change of direction testing as well. But like my obliques, my hip flexors, my hamstrings are just on fire today. Are you guys sore or is it just my old body? Yeah, Knox asked me this morning uh, how I was feeling. I said that it was like the top of my quads, uh, my hamstrings, my glutes, and then like the top of my feet, I think just because from like the turning and planning off the outside of the foot, um, you, you haven't done that in so long that that's, you know, where my soreness came from. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely tight in my hamstrings for sure. Um, I had started doing a little bit of like running and some sprint stuff in my own training over the last couple of weeks. So I almost 
was a little bit acclimated to maybe that uh, the sprint testing that we did do. Um, and I warmed up really well, uh, which I think helped quite a bit too, but I was definitely a little stiff in my hamstrings. Uh, one thing I want to mention as well is a part of why we did jumping January and why we're doing speed and agility in the month of February as well is because one thing we check off our box for our young strength coaches, our interns that we keep on, on staff, our coaching assistants, is we make sure that they, and this is in a pre-COVID world, they know how to use a Vertec um, during the summer when we do vertical jump testing with our student athletes and we also do it as a staff. Obviously in the summer 2020, we didn't have anybody on campus for our summer internship. So we didn't get to go over that with them during that time. So jumping January allowed us to talk through some testing protocols, best practices uh, with our entire staff, but just making sure that our young strength coaches know how to use a Vertec. Um, jumping into the program, like I said, uh, Wood and I came up with a four weeks, two days that um, really weren't just a jumping program. So it's not like you would just do your jumping January uh, movements for your entire workout. It, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. It took me about maybe 10, 20 minutes to knock this out each week for each workout. So day one would take 10 to 20 minutes. And whenever I would do day two, it took about the same amount of time. You guys would agree? Yeah. Yep. Looking at the program, and just so everybody has an idea, we did things like pogo jumps, depth drops. And for our depth drops and depth jumps, whatever the height was of the box was based off a percentage of your standing vertical. So for week one, day one, depth drop was at 50%, three sets of three reps. And we we're at 50% of our standing vertical. So if you had a 30-inch vertical, you were jumping off a 15-inch box. And I, I, I liked that, but I'm not necessarily sold on that being an exact science so that is probably something that I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into still experiment on myself and um, still go through some trial and error with my student athletes other movements we did was uh, squat jumps approach box jumps repeat quarter squat jumps with the barbell on our back skater jumps broad jumps and towards the end of the program we were doing repeat tuck jumps over track hurdles um, talking about the program, one thing I learned as we got into week three and week four, especially with the approach box jumps, was I needed to, just like I would with a barbell, I can't jump in, just go right into uh, a high approach box jump. That was something that I, that I tried to do on week four, where I wanted to start out at a 42-inch box to jump on, and that did not go very well. I think I failed my first attempt week four, first, uh, first rep on approach box jumps. I needed to make sure that I maybe pulled out, uh, you know, a 24 inch, then maybe went to 36, then maybe work up to 42. Uh, but just making sure in the future, when I do these with my student athletes is make sure we're adequately warmed up, make sure that uh, I don't try to push it too high too soon uh, when doing something like an approach box jump. I'll start with D. Did you have any takeaways from the program that you're like, man, I didn't think about this, how, how my body would react? Oh, one thing I'll say as well is approach box jumps. First time we did it, my abs were wrecked the next day. Just being dynamic, pulling my knees up to my chest, my hip flexors, and my abs were so sore. D, did you have anything like that? Well, for me, you know, the, I, the first week I just had an issue like with you know, having a few shin splints. Um, I don't know what it was, but like, personally, like it, I did not adapt well to like the program that first week. And then after that, like the second, third, fourth week, like I, I was getting better and better. And then by the third week, I like, I felt pretty good. I didn't have any issues then. I think it was just, my body wasn't used to doing something different that you're not used to doing in your normal training. Um, another takeaway was like getting feedback from coaches, like on the approach box jump, like um, even when we tested it on the Vertec, like what our approach jump was, um, I learned a ton from that. Like, you know, I was, you know, instead of getting to full extension or not hitting it at the right spot, um, getting that feedback from the coaches definitely helped with the next, you know, three to four weeks that we were going through the program. Um, 
but overall, like I enjoyed it. it. It definitely, you know, gets you out of your normal routine. Um, it challenges you to do things that you're normally not doing in your training cycle for yourself personally. And then for our coaching assistants, um, it opens their eyes up to like, Hey, I need to improve a ton off of this. Now, as I get older and older, um, my landing mechanics, you know, just like on your depth drops, like I just felt like I was landing really, really hard where it used to be like when, you know, you just get out of college, you feel a little bit more athletic. And that's one thing that I had to think about a lot personally is landing soft on my landing on the depth drop. than you know, normally it's just when you're coming out of college of being a student athlete, that just comes easier to you. But as you get older, it's, it's more of a challenge. Yeah. It's me realizing that as a 38 year old man, I, I was going to like do my usual warm up before I work out and then do jumping January program. But as we got to week four, going into the depth jumps, I found myself, I'm like, there's no way I can land, produce force and jump again to the best of my ability. I need to maybe do some um, drop squats before that. And then I need to work into uh, depth drops as a part of my warm up before I actually do working sets with depth jumps. BMAC and Wood, you guys are young and sprightly. How did you feel? <laughs> Uh, I felt, I felt pretty good. Um, you know, I was, I've been taking a break from my normal training, Olympic weightlifting. So, you know, my volume has been down quite a bit. So I actually very much enjoyed this program. It made me feel a little bit athletic again, doing something more athletic rather than just some kind of traditional weight room work that I've been doing for the last um, month or so. Um, and I really enjoyed just kind of getting a chance to see a lot of like your progression Spurlock and how you train, um, and how you progress certain movements, you know, one of the kind of how we wrote it was one day was more emphasizing how Spurlock, you know, a lot of the movements Spurlock uses um, and how he progresses. And one was a little bit about how I progress um, and how we kind of tailored it like that. And it was really interesting to see one of the biggest takeaways for me was how you progress things Spurlock and, um, you know, getting a chance to like go through an actual like four week program. I think at some point in our careers, we've all done all of these movements, you know, at least once or twice, but to really understand how going through like a four week cycle of it is going to affect the body was something that I hadn't really gone through like a true program. And I got to kind of, it gave me a lot of insight as to how, you know, just like you were talking about with the warm up, you know, how are we, how are we warming our athletes up? You know, I took it, tried to apply it to how we're coaching our athletes and how are we warming them up and, you know, thinking about adding in uh, some more low intensity plyometrics in my triple warm up and early in my workouts before we get to those high intensity plyos, you know, those are all things, those are my biggest uh, takeaways from the program. And I really, really enjoyed it. Anything to add B Mac? Yeah, the, the volume was a big adjustment. Like Dee said, I kind of struggled with some shin splints in the beginning, um, but I've also had three knee surgeries. So just kind of adjusting to that was, um, different in the beginning, but like Dee said, probably at least it was week three for me that all of a sudden I wasn't having pain. Um, kind of going off what Wood said, I don't think I've ever done just a jumping program, you know, like really focusing on that. Um, so that was interesting to see. Um, the one thing I think that I noticed more, kind of like Wood was saying, um, just the difference in progressing. So I feel like we made faster jumps with some of the like levels of difficulty on the day too. So like, you know, broad jump into approach, broad jump into the med ball, pass broad jump. Um, whereas a little bit more gradual on day one. Um, not saying either is better or worse, but you know, that's, I just kind of felt that difference each week where it's like, man, this is a big step up for me. I would say too, like you guys talking about having some shin splints, you know, thinking through how we attack this, I can definitely see how that would pop up because we weren't following like a progression that we do with our student athletes. And that's something we'll get into later, but typically we would start with, uh, you know, simple drop squats, uh, working into our plyo progression. And we skipped all of that and went right into the advanced stuff, like depth <laughs> drops and, uh, you know, repeat tuck jumps and things like that. Um, so that, that makes sense as we're talking through it now, but you know, I, like I said, I, hopefully this is something that we can, keeping our program, make a tradition, maybe even expand out to the entire strength and conditioning world uh, and kind of be, um, kind of put something together like uh, Tucker did with um, uh, Sprint Timber and then how Sorenex is done, Squat Tober. But who knows, we'll cross that bridge 
later this year. Looking I at our results. Like which, that we which, didn't start with the basics because we were even thinking that with speed and agility coming up this next month, where a lot of time we spend a lot of time as a staff reviewing the basic things that we have, and I feel like we have really good knowledge of it. Um, and even though it was a little bit of a shock to the system right away, volume-wise, I'm glad that we didn't stick with you know just drop squats and stuff like that because I think this did challenge us more and challenged our understanding of the movements more. Those movements we don't always get to touch after we go through those progressions with athletes. I agree. And part of this conversation is to help our coaching assistants as well, our young coaches on understanding our complete thought. Now they have an idea of, you know, what would and I put together in terms of advance, but maybe during this conversation, we'll take a step back and talk about proper progression. So they, they can hear that um, from us looking at the results though. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to pull up that comparison uh, Excel document, that tab that I put together. But as a staff, our standing BERT got better, a little over a um, half inch. Uh, in terms of a jump mat, we are close to an inch and a half improvement. Um, and just stopping right there with our standing BERT on the Vertec and the jump mat, there wasn't that much, there, it wasn't that different between the Vertec and the jump mat. Just making maybe some general um, connections, it did seem like the jump mat was maybe an inch, inch and a half higher for some of us. Some of us, it was dead on. And the only outlier, I think, if you guys are looking at it, Strobus's standing vert with the Vertec yesterday was 32 inch, but then his jump mat was 37. I think everybody else is around that inch, inch and a half, maybe two inch difference. So it was like three and a half to Spurlock um, with mine. You, you were? I was, yeah. From standing oh, the, jump mat. It oh, was, I see it. Yeah. So yeah, I was as well. And I watched like, you know, Strobus, you know, do his on the jump mat when he did jump 37. And it was just like, wow, it didn't even look like he put any effort, but like his form was perfect on it so like yeah it wasn't one of those things like he bent at the waist or bent at the hip and you know bent his legs in the air like literally it was a he did a really good job on his on his technique on the jump mat so so thinking through efficiency you know there is going to be a difference between whether it's a vertex or a jump mat but I, I wouldn't be opposed especially if you're trying to get a large group through this in a short amount of time the jump mat might be the way to go in that in that situation um in terms of our approach vertical just like our standing bird it was just a little over um a half inch improvement and then our broad jump was almost a quarter of an inch i'm sorry three quarter of an inch improvement um but even looking at that you had d you got two and a half two, i'm sorry two and a quarter inch better on your broad jump and then we that was the one uh jump our broad jump where there was quite a few people that either stayed the same or even dropped down and bmac just thinking about your results i know you were you had a terrible night's sleep the day before so that all makes sense but if you look at knox he's down he was up an in, uh one and a half inch on a standing up an uh, inch and a quarter on i'm sorry i'm sorry half inch on his approach but then he's down three inches on his broad jump that's you know, I, I was thinking, I've been thinking about that because I didn't do very well in my approach vertical. And uh, one thing that I was thinking about in, you know, with, with a broad jump and an approach jump, there's so much of like a skill involved in it that you don't necessarily realize, you know, when we wrote the program, we were just, okay, we're going to do these movements and progress them in an advanced fashion where, you know, like th those are things that we spend time teaching our athletes, you know, I mean, you were coaching me up yesterday, Spurlock, on that approach vertical and, you know, I, I, you were saying I was getting almost one to two inches above where I was hitting the actual, um, the vertex. And, you know, that just goes to show how, how, uh, like skill base, a couple of these jumps are, they're not just, you know, power output type, type of exercises, or they're not, you know, there's a lot of skill involved with the execution of them. I agree. I agree. And just thinking about the broad jump, the thing I had the most issue with was actually landing at the end. I didn't feel like I could try to jump out as far as I could, because uh, if I did that, and I definitely did this during our, our four weeks of training, uh, my landing would be terrible, and I would either fall backwards or fall forward. So maybe not as much skill involved as like an approach 
but uh, definitely uh, something that would hold you back. Um, one thing I was thinking of, and I don't know if anybody's ever looked into this, and my mind always goes to weightlifting. So I know that there is a certain percentage of your, your snatch should be a search, certain percent, percentage of your clean when you look at elite weightlifters. And I'm not really sure off the top of my head what that percentage is, but should there be a, you know, should your broad jump be a certain percentage of your standing vert? I don't know if anybody's ever thought about that in terms of setting a standard for, um, you know, jumping ability. Yeah, I, I've never really thought about that, but that's a good way of looking at it is like when you start comparison, you know, comparing like, you know, you're clean with your snatch and pulling numbers from that, like you would think that it would relate to your, you know, your standing vert and then broad jump, you know, even like um, with the approach as well. I think approach would be a little bit different, but uh, relating all three of those together, like I've never put my mind on that, but it's something that is, could be a really, really good topic to talk about. And I think even comparing the two and something I've seen with our volleyball program is that there is about a three to four inch difference between uh, somebody's standing vert and their approach vert. And I thought ours would be a lot, that, that difference would be a lot smaller because of our technique with the approach, but it was about the same. And I think um, even as some of us improved our standing vert, our approach vert improved as well. So I think our difference ended up being like 3.6 eight inches um in february and in, in january when we tested it was about i think 3.64 so almost essentially the same thing so just things to think about but that was jumping january um i had fun doing it i hope everybody else on staff did as well and to give everybody an insider's perspective on what we got going on is for the month of february we're going to do essentially the same thing but focusing in on our speed and agility. So yesterday, after we did our, our jump testing, uh, we went out to the basketball court in Memorial Coliseum. We tested our uh, 510-5 pro agility. We also did our L drill, and then we did a three-quarter length uh, basketball court sprint, so baseline opposite free throw line. And then for that sprint, the 510-5, we used timing gates, and then we did handheld for the L drill. Um, and I think that is definitely why I'm so sore. The just exploding out, my hamstrings are sore from sprinting, the amount of energy it takes to, you know, change direction at a fast pace and a high level. I was exhausted after we got done testing yesterday. I did not think I was gonna be that tired. And I was even the one, because uh, BMAC and D are the ones doing the program this month. And I was pushing them last week. I was like, no, we can do more attempts. We'll be fine. I ended up opting out of my last attempt of the Eldro just because I was so smoked. But I'm excited for us to go through speed and agility in February and retest in March at some point. But that's what we got going on. Let's move into programming. Uh, I'm going to start it off with programming. And I'm just going to give my general thoughts. And I'm specifically just going to be talking about volleyball because they're their season is the, the most consistent, I think. Um, and obviously this is, all my thoughts are pre-COVID. Uh, volleyball is, it's February 9th right now. Typically we would be, they would be working out with me five days a week, running and jumping and doing agility work early in the morning. We'd be lifting uh, on top of that. We'd be trying to get strong. Um, but all that is gone away because right now they're just started their SEC season. So um, they're in season now. So one thing I have to think through is as their season ends and they hopefully have a huge run in the NCAA tournament, that's what I would typically do with them in January and February. I have to move all that now to the summer and what months and how I program that out. I don't know, but it's definitely going to be a condensed time period because usually I would have January to end of July to get them ready for their fall season. Now they have a spring season that hopefully will go deep into April. They'll probably go home for the month of May, come back on campus in June and July. So I have two months time period to get them ready for their 
fall 2021 season. So it's definitely daunting. But as I talk through this, please know that all of this is uh, my thoughts pre-COVID. In terms of volleyball programming, and I'm thinking specifically with uh, my thoughts with their, with their uh, jumping movements with me. Early off season, like I just said, is January and February. During that time, they're with me twice a week where we are just specifically working on speed, agility, and uh, jumping. And in terms of jumping, I make sure that we are jumping on a soft surface. So during those, those months, when we um, do have those workouts, we're in Nutter Fieldhouse. And if anybody knows anything about our facilities at UK, that is where our indoor football field is. So when we are going through our applied progression, and that is uh, the progression we go through to make sure our takeoff and landing mechanics are solid when we're jumping off two feet, when we're jumping off one foot, when we're moving linear, when we're moving lateral, we are on a turf field. And typically I'll have them do that um, in their socks, no shoes on, making sure that I'm working on their foot strength, ankle stability, and obviously, like I said, their takeoff and landing mechanics, we're protecting our knee um, and making sure we're trying to avoid any injury like an ACL. Once we get past February, though, March and April, they're into their spring season with their coaches. And that's pretty much our volleyball coaches. That, that is their preseason because our volleyball coaches don't get to see our volleyball team in May, June, or July. Their NCAA rules, it doesn't allow them to work with them at all so I back off a ton in terms of the volume and the amount of jumping that I'm doing with the volleyball team um, during their spring, spring season so March and April like I said they'll typically typically go home in the month of May and then when they come back in the summer we're still re-emphasizing our uh, jumping mechanics but then I start coupling coupling a lot of our volleyball specific jumps uh, into the weight room. So they might hit some heavy clean pools and then we'll do some approach box jumps. Um, we might hit some snatch and then we'll do some, uh, maybe some uh, repeat jumps, something like that. And then as we get into the season, their fall season, in terms of high level um, jumping, I back off quite a bit unless they are a red shirt or not playing a ton, but I will revisit our, uh, our mechanics um, um, as we go throughout the end season. So I'll go back to our plyo progression, making sure that our single leg jumping mechanics are solid, but I will not be doing a ton, a ton of jumping things like, um, you know, repeat weighted squat jumps, not doing that a lot with them, not doing anything like a depth jump during season. Um, but like I said, I'll revisit everything in terms of making sure mechanics are solid and we're making sure we're trying to reduce the risk of injury as best as we can. That's my general thought. What I'm gonna throw it to you next, and then I'm gonna come back to D because volleyball, obviously a sport that is, that is jumping's vital. Their ability to jump high, um, repeat jump ability is vital. And then you have groups like our jumpers, which of course jumping is important. And then even with our sprinters and hurdle, hurdlers as well, talk through your thoughts and you can, you don't have to break it down exactly like I did, but just talk through your thoughts in terms of uh, your track groups. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're in a, such a different, I would call it such a different scenario than you Spurlock with the, maybe a team sport, like a volleyball, where there's so many other like factors of athleticism that, you know, you're training where it's like, you know, we're not doing a ton of change of direction stuff. When, when we, we program our plyos and make progressions, we're not thinking, I'm not thinking of, Hey, are they moving laterally, right? You know, everyone pretty much moves in a straight line um, and is jumping up or out. So um, that kind of simplifies almost a little bit in terms of like where my head goes to find those progressions, right? So um, in our basically they start coming in. I really start our cycle at the beginning of the fall semester. So we're in our off season mode. So we're trying to just build up as much strength as possible, right? That's our heavy, heavy strength block is pretty much most of the fall um so i wouldn't call plyos an emphasis during that cycle but we're introducing all of the plyos that we do um going back to um 
you know, what I brought up with that approach vertical, you know, how I struggled with the skill of, you know, executing it properly. Our student athletes do that too. And, um, you know, we try to be very particular and um, when I'm coaching it with, you know, how we're hitting the ground, right? Are we hitting the ground like with on the ball of our foot? Are we hitting the ground on a flat foot? Um, you know, that's something that we spend a lot of time with in the off season. So we're working on pogo jumps, right? We're working on like, you know, how we're reacting to the ground um, and driving force into it. Um, we do a lot of um, more like eccentric kind of like drop, dropping off of boxes, getting into good positions, you know, ripping down, you know, single leg drop squats, single leg depth drops, just um, kind of kind of starting that building that base and getting them those skills right now we also introduce a lot of the things like the repeat jump squats one of the things I once we get into our in season then um, how we peak is really involved with our plyometrics um, and our jumping that's really kind of how we're not doing a ton with energy systems in the weight room right so when my head goes into in season and how we're peaking we're thinking about power output right how are we going to keep that power output increasing taking the load off the body or minimizing the load um, in season during certain times with important competitions so um, about I would say once we get back in January we're in a continuation of those plyos but we're just increasing the volume that we did from the off season right so we're still hopping we're hopping over hurdles uh, we're ripping down we're getting good contact with the ground putting a lot of force into the ground up um, and we typically don't pair up things too much at that time in the off season. We'll hit like our main, like our main Olympic movement for the day. Um, and we may have like maybe a squat movement after that, or maybe squats are our primary movement. We'll kind of set aside the time right after that and just focus on those plyos, especially when it comes to like the depth drops, um, like hurdle hops and box jumps, the things that require a lot of like more like skill-based plyos, we'll spend a lot of time just, Hey, we're just going to do this right now. Don't, don't worry about going in the timing between that and your cleans, or don't worry about that right now. Let's just get really good at, you know, how we're reacting to the ground um, and executing those jumps about three, I would say about three to four weeks before our main meets, whether that's SECs or nationals, and we'll take different groups and do it a little differently. That's when we start to shift that focus. So with our plyo specifically, we try to overload those, right? My thought is like, hey, how can we overload the nervous system so that we get that super compensation and that, um, you know, that compensation moving into, you know, our important meets. So we're doing the same movements, right? We're just loading them up, right? So if we're doing pogo jumps, right? One thing I like to do is add load, whether it's from bands from the bottom we've been, been doing a lot of like bands from the bottom where they're holding onto the band so that you know they have to keep that stiffness through their trunk and their core and they have to still react explosively um, and fast on the ground right we're looking at ground contact time a lot as we move more into our peaks right um you know we may hold a med ball we may go overhead right you know overhead med ball hold right where the at challenges you know their coordination through their core too right the reactivity of how they're hitting the ground um, and how that transfers up through their skeleton because that's super important for those jumpers in particular um, and then you know we're I like to introduce the idea of like drop or like ripping down into a movement um, kind of thinking about hey you know we're in a normal let's call it a normal squat jump you're going to eccentrically load you know your posterior chain your hamstrings your glutes and then you're going to drive up through it well we'll bring in this idea of like ripping down or like pulling to the ground where we're in an active flexion into the ground. And then as soon as we hit the ground, we're trying to turn those muscles off, our flexors off, turn our extensors on and produce that force as fast as you can. And then we'll start doing that under small amounts of load, you know, three to 5% of our body weight um, to get that super compensation, right? How do we overload that nervous system? Um, you know, going back to what you were talking about Spurlock with um, using a percentage of your vertical jump, I think we kind of had that conversation maybe like a year, year and a half ago. And that, that really sparked a lot of me thinking about how, how do I overload that nervous system um, with, with taking into account, you know, still needing to be fresh. And, and you know, I've been playing around with a lot of that and, um, and how I would use that with that group. Um, one thing, not to cut you off, Will, but one thing, and this is why I love when we do things like we're doing now, whether it's jumping January, November, speed and agility now in February, is we have conversations with each other and just like you said us talking like that sparked something in your mind and one thing i haven't been able i haven't um brought up with the staff but when we were talking through one of the weeks in jumping january knox had brought up and um, we were talking about uh depth drops is you know i i, I have it down as 
you know, you're doing 50% of your vertical jump for the depth drop. And he brought up the thought of, well, if you want to overload it, then you need to be doing more than your vertical jump height. So if your vertical jump is 30, you need to be doing like a 35 inch depth drop. And as I'm thinking through that, I'm like, man, I don't like the, the sound of that, but it did. It made me think. And as I'm thinking about how do I overload that deceleration, I'm like, that's where my Olympic lifts come in. That's when I got a heavy barbell in my volleyball player's hand and they extend up and they drop underneath it. They're decelerating in that, in that solid athletic position. And I'm like, you know, I never really thought about it in terms, in, in, in those terms, but just something like that, that he mentioned, like you said, sparked it in my mind, made me really think about why I was doing things and why I wasn't doing things. And, um, uh, that's just something that I that, that I appreciate all of us having these conversations because I think it helps us out in the long run. Yeah, no, I love it too. I mean, you said something in staff meeting, I think it was two weeks, maybe last week or two weeks ago, when we were talking about this stuff and we were talking about using balance work as a precursor to plyos and single leg and single leg jumping and stuff. And that that definitely sparked something to me where I started going down a little rabbit hole of, hey, what are we doing for the ankles at this point, you know, in the off season, right? So having that conversation, I went back to my fall 2020, 2020 stuff, put a bunch of notes on there, but hey, rethink your ankle work, rethink your balance work, right? So when I come back next year and I started like, hey, I liked a lot of this stuff, but hey, I didn't think about this, right? Or I could, I could approach this differently based on what you said. So yeah, that I love that we get the chance to, bounce ideas off of each other and learn from each other. D throwing it to you, baseball and softball or gymnastics. I'm not sure which one, which sport yeah. you want to talk about. Um, you know, what's your, what, what, what goes through your mind when you're programming plyos and jumps? Uh, I'm going to go into softball cause they're, um, they're going throughout the entire year uh, where baseball, we're not getting a lot of speed and agility plyo progressions in just cause of the time spent at the field. Um, just starting with softball, like, I want to start in the summer. Um, in the summer, you know, it's usually your upperclassmen that are staying. You don't have any freshmen that stay. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm pretty much just going through their basic uh, plyo progression, you know, starting over from really what you taught them as freshmen. Um, when you go throughout an entire season, um, you know, from, say, the first week of February to that first week of June, and then they get a week, and then all of a sudden you start, you know, your summer training, um, they've put a ton of load on their lower half throughout that entire season. So I'm just trying to keep that as basic as possible. Even, go, even going back to doing small plyos through a speed ladder that we have on the turf field um, and making sure that I have soft surfaces as well, what you talked about with volleyball. Um, once we get to August, the entire team is together. So you have your upperclassmen um, and then you have your incoming freshmen. And what I'm thinking about during that time is when we start our, our speed and agility sessions on Tuesday and Thursdays um, for about 14 weeks, um, there's that acclimation period when they come back. Um, but during that time, you know, we're, we're learning how to, we're going back to our basic progressions um, with this, you know, the upperclassmen that were not involved throughout the summer training. Um, and then you have the upperclassmen that work here for the summer. So I have them kind of on three different programs um, where I'm kind of advancing my upperclassmen that were here for the summer, um, going back to the basics with the upperclassmen that weren't here for the summer, and then teaching the freshmen that are coming in your basic plow progressions. And that going back to what Wood just talked about, um, I do a ton of Airx balance work, uh, single leg balance work, double leg balance work in the weight room. Um, and then when we go out to the field and we have our speed agility sessions, they're literally doing, you know, forward and back line hops, side to side line hops, everything's double leg, um, for about eight to 10 weeks, um, before that I start getting into like a single leg, you know, line hop or lateral line hops with a single leg. Um, during that time, like in the 14 weeks that we're training throughout the entire semester, like I'm progressing my upperclassmen. Um, throughout that plyo progression. And then I eventually, after about four weeks, I'll get the upperclassmen that weren't here for the summer and they combine with the, the rest of those upperclassmen. Um, by about 
week 12 where we have about two weeks left, I've kind of got everybody together with those freshmen because I want them to be able to visually see the upperclassmen going through their plow progression. Um, with the once we get done with the fall semester, that being our true off season, and we start to go back home um, over winter break, uh, you're talking, you know, four to six weeks that they're gone from us. So um, from there, I'm starting to emulate like my plyo progression throughout the entire weight room, you know, from doing our depth drops to our pogo jumps to our repeat squat jumps, our band assisted squat jumps and throwing that progression in there uh, over winter break. I'm not trying to do advanced plyos just because you don't know the equipment they have over um, winter break at all. But once they get back with the, or once they get done with winter break, then they get into their preseason. Once we get to preseason, um, we're really moving to two days of lifting. So I'm trying to get more of a, a plyo progression throughout the entire uh you know, month of January before season starts in February. So they're getting one day of, you know, almost a, um, a basic progression in the weight room again, because I don't know what they did over break, over winter break. Um, once we get to in season, I'm limiting the amount of plyos they, they're, they're doing just because the load that they're putting on their lower half. Uh, we do have like a flush workout that we do usually on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Um, where I still want to keep that basic plyo progression in there. And, and that can be repeat um, cone hops. Um, that could be, you know, line hops. I just keep that in there once a week just so they can keep that movement pattern going. Uh, the biggest thing that I'm looking for, you know, in, in the sport of, you know, softball and baseball, even gymnastics, it's not as big, you know, as a jumping sport as like volleyball. Um, but what I'm trying to do with my plyo progression progression is decrease that amortization phase where you you decrease that ground contact time um, because as much as that we're doing like you know our prep step before they're they're taking like a, a ground ball in the infield a live ground ball they're doing a quick prep step which is like a small plyo um, and that has got to be that that ground contact time has got to be minimized so that's one thing that i'm working on in the weight room when i'm going throughout my entire plyo progression it's kind of a rundown with softball. Um, so, yeah. Let's talk testing next. So one thing, talking with Craig Skinner, a volleyball coach, we are going to, from here, on, from here on out, prioritize getting their standing and approach vertical jump numbers once a month. And in the past, we would do it preseason. We probably would not even have time to do it postseason because – they would be in the NCAA tournament. As soon as that was over, it would be dead week. We couldn't man, man, um, make them come in for workouts or it would even be uh, winter break by that time. Um, so what we're gonna do now is each month that they're with us, we're going to prioritize time to make sure that we test their verticals. Would what, what's your testing protocol with uh, jumping assessment with track team? Or the with rifle track. team. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you jump test the rifle team? I do not jump test the <laughs> rifle team. but we. Do I want to see their approach vertical numbers. I think we can get those after the season, after we bring home. Yeah. Um, I only actually, I only jump test my track and field team once a year. Um, we do it basically kind of in can, along with our power testing in the weight room at the end of the fall. Um, and even with our jumpers, the only one I might do is I might do a vertical jump. Um, and the reason is, is that their sport is jumping. And so we just try to keep that separate. When we come into the weight room, we like to explain it to them as, hey, we're using jumps to make a physiological change. We're not necessarily here to measure, perform. You know, we'll, we'll leave that out on the track and out on the runway with, with them and, and their jumps coach. You know, we don't want to cross paths. So that group really only vertical jumps. Um, and during the same time of the year, at the end of November, we'll do the sprinters and hurdlers. And really the only jump test that they're doing right now is vertical jump. We took out broad jump um, just because it's, again, going back to like the skill work of it, it's a lot of skill involved in it. Um, and, you know, we've seen some, you know, people come out with just like having some like nagging knee stuff from trying to overreach and land too far. Um, 
and we I didn't necessarily want to dedicate time to learn a test just to test it, whereas I get more so much more information on my vertical jump testing. Um, we use a power equation um, and we take the student athletes body weight um, and we make a real we get a relative power output based on their body weight, um, which I find is very helpful. It gives me kind of like a, a landmark where I can say, hey, you know, um, based on your weight, you know, you're doing you're, you're right where we need you, like in terms of like power development or, hey, we're a little bit behind, you know, this is something that, you know, we need to kind of go back and build that strength and see if we can get that power number up through the next cycle. That makes complete sense with, you know, groups like the jumpers and sprinters is, you know, their tests are literally what they do on the track. So, um, and you said you don't do broad jump anymore. And I, I'm a big advocate for not doing tests you shouldn't just be doing tests just to be doing them. If you're not going to use the numbers, then why are you testing it? Yeah. Uh, our former, our former coach, that was a test that he liked to use. And, you know, when the coaching change about three years ago happened with our track and field staff, you know, it was just a conversation and that kind of came up. It was like, Hey, why are we doing it? You know, there's, here's the, the negative consequences and here's the, the cost that we're going to need to put into, you know, getting good results and giving them an opportunity to have good results. So we just cut it out and, you know, we're, we're getting out all the information we need from the tests that we're doing just simply with the vert uh, vertical jump. And as I pass this over to D, I think just like I said with volleyball, that jumping is their sport. It's super important. I Moving forward, we're going to do vertical jump testing at least once a month whenever they're on campus, but I don't do that in the weight room. It's not like we're doing power clean maxes and back squat maxes once a month. Um, but D, the sports you have, you know, vertical jump, broad jump numbers aren't as relative. They're, you know, seeing what their numbers are is important, but talk through your testing schedule and protocol with your groups. Uh, going off of just relating back to softball, um, we were testing our vertical jump, broad jump, um, you know, along with like our upper body plyometrics as well, like with our med ball, uh, sit up and throw or seated chest pass and then our um, med ball shot put throws. Um, we'll test that in August. We'll test that in at usually before Thanksgiving um, as well. And then when they come back in January, um, we don't do any kind of testing in season just because of finding that time. We're usually only getting one day a week with our lifting. Um, so, and I don't want to give up that day of lifting where I'm combining, you know, a clean squat bench on the same day to try to, you know, keep that general strength throughout an entire season. Um, but, you know, one thing that uh, we've done in the off season during COVID and everything was uh, Coach Lawson, myself and, and Bree Papato, uh, all three got certified on the on-base use certification. And one thing that we've really based everything around is the metrics, you know, of, what is our vertical power look like with our lower half? Um, what's our core strength look like when we do our med ball sit up and throw? And then what does our upper body pl uh, plyometric pl power look like as well? Um, and looking at those numbers, we actually have metrics now that we can go off of like to say that, hey, vertical jump isn't very important in the sport of softball. Well, it, it is when you're going you know, for um, that lower body explosive power. Uh, we, we're looking at, you know, we want our girls to be a, around 22 inches um, for the vertical jump. You know, that's an average number that you're looking at across the board, across the country. Um, and then for your, you know, your sit up and throw, um, we're looking at, I think that's right around 17 um, feet that we're looking at, and then 16 on the, the uh, seated chest pass. Um, but when it comes to that testing, like even with my other sports, like with gymnastics, we're doing a uh, vertical jump with them. Uh, we don't do a broad jump with them at all. Um, and then baseball do the same testing uh, alongside with softball as well. And with the on-base U testing and numbers, a part of the on-base U, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's mobility components to it as well. So you can come up with individualized um, uh, mobility routines that each player can have, but with the vertical jump, the med ball throw numbers and the broad jump, how do you use those numbers? 
Um, we, we combine those numbers to give them like a horsepower number where I talked about, like you have your vertical jump, your sit up and throw, and then your seated chest pass. You're combining those numbers together to get a horsepower number where we want that horsepower number to be like a 55. So what we're saying with horsepower is that is the, the engine. We're trying to build the engine for our girls to make them a, a full develop student athlete. So what you don't want is to have a student athlete have a 28 inch vertical and then they do a seated chest pass and they literally throw it um, 10 feet and then they do a sit up and throw and they throw that 10 feet, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, well, you haven't developed the core or the upper body. So what we're trying to do is make that well-rounded student athlete um, with the data that we have found with the OnBaseU. And if somebody is underachieving in those areas, what's, and I know this is, you guys did this during the, when everybody was at home at quarantine. Yeah. Did you have anybody that did not meet the horsepower number that should be expected? Yeah, quite, we had, I would say about half, um, but that that's a high number that we've set for the girls um, and it's a high standard. Uh, so we've kind of, you know, individualize that with stuff that we do at practice where it's like, hey, you're going to do more um, med ball plyometrics, upper body plyometrics, core uh, strength, strengthening at practice as well. So um, hats off to to Bree and the work that she's done. Um, me, you know, working alongside of her and giving her my input. But um, she's she's done a great job of like you know, doing doing that individual work with those girls over at the field. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, appreciate you guys talking this through with me and everybody else listening. We'll be probably be back on here soon. Um, one thing we're going to dive into that our coaching assistants that are working on is an in-season programming project. Um, we're going to hop back on here later this week and talk through some things in regards to in-season programming. Um, but if those that are listening right now, if you have any comments or questions for us, don't hesitate to reach out to us at UK Strength. I'm sorry, UK Strength at UKY.edu. Thanks and go, cats.